0: We're going to talk about, is Jesus really God? It's an important, important question. I think people kind of fall into three categories. Well, it just makes sense. It's logical. There are people who are convinced that Jesus is God. There are people who question, kind of doubt, if Jesus is God. And there are people who are convinced that Jesus wasn't God. You kind of have those three layers. And so we're going to kind of today look at it like we were in a court of law, and um, If you've watched like me I feel like I'm somewhat of a legal expert because I've watched my cousin Benny uh, and Legally Blonde several times so I kind of know how this works so there's a defense and there's a prosecution and they both present evidence to uh, try to shore up their case right that's kind of what they do and I heard about this um, this jury trial in Oklahoma there's a guy on trial for murdering his fiance, I think it was. And lots and lots of circumstantial evidence, but no body. They couldn't find the body. And so, but tons of circumstantial evidence that said this guy did it. And so his attorney decides she's going to uh, employ this tactic during the closing argument. And so she says, she kind of looks at her watch and she goes, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, in the next 60 seconds... The missing person will walk through those doors, and everybody looks to the back of the courtroom, and everybody in the jury box looks to the back of the courtroom, and and we're we're waiting. She's waiting, and 60 seconds, uh, the time goes by, and she says, what I told you wasn't exactly true, but you had enough suspicion that it might be possible, it was plausible, that she might come through the door, and therefore you have reasonable doubts that my client actually committed the murder that you think he committed. She, this, it's a brilliant strategy. You, you, you at least thought it was plausible. And so the jury now is in some state of confusion. They go back into the uh, jury room, the deliberation room, and they come out in about 15 minutes with a guilty verdict. And she asked the foreman, how in the world could you come up with a guilty verdict? You all looked. You, you all had doubt. And the jury foreman said, yeah, we all looked, but your client didn't. <laughs> that's gold. Uh, that's really good. It's really, really good. And I'm glad you all are on your game. You got that. Good job for you. Here, the truth of the matter is, Jesus has always had doubters. Um, he just always has. Now, let's go through kind of a list. One of them, his enemies certainly doubted. So he's on the cross, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, and they said he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Kind of mockingly, they say this, let him come down from the cross, and we'll believe in him. And it makes sense that Jesus' enemies are against him and don't believe and today Jesus's enemies don't believe that he is really God just it makes sense now these guys the chief priests teachers of the law the elders those were guys Jesus took some of their power away so th- these were kind of the, the, the dudes until Jesus came along and then he questioned their authority and he questioned their teaching and people in authority often don't like to be questioned and so it made a lot of sense that his, his enemies didn't like him or doubted him. But then there are other groups, and I think you might find these shocking. His family doubted him. Then Jesus entered the house. Jesus has become wildly popular. Uh, he entered the house, and again a crowd gathered so that his disciples, he and his disciples, were not even able to eat. There were so many people clamoring for his attention. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, I don't know what your relationship is with your siblings, but mine typically, at least to my face, uh, have never said, you're out of your mind. And, and sibling robberies I found some memes, I like these. Uh, my parents told me they wanted another child. Uh, I said I'd love a brother or sister, and that that's not what we mean. Uh, I think that's funny, honestly. Uh, look, look, this one, I, I like this one a lot. Look at that little guy. Uh, he is not happy. <laughs> uh, I think that's funny. Uh, really, I think that's really funny. All right, I want you to study the sister in this picture, because she's in the next meme, too. So, it sort of makes sense. When when we looked at that text, it didn't say Mary was amongst them, just his family. Uh, It kind of makes sense to me that it might have been Mary, it might have been Joseph, it certainly was his siblings, and they wanted to take charge of him, and they said he's out of his mind. Then he's got a cousin who's named John the Baptist. You've heard of him. And and John the Baptist, look at what, uh, next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No doubt that John the Baptist believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He calls him the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. I mean, that is, that's quite the endorsement. I mean, John the Baptist is really popular at this point. And as a really popular preacher, he says, Jesus, He is the one that we've been waiting for. Except, look at what happens only months later. John called two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord and asked, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep on looking for someone else? I mean, he goes from certainty to doubt... In a matter of months, I think John the Baptist had a notion around what the Messiah would look like. He was going to take over militarily. He was going to be the one that, that uh, kind of took King David's place. And Jesus, that wasn't the kingdom he was going to establish. And it caused John the Baptist to have doubts. His family doubted. And... This one may be the most startling, his disciples doubted. Jesus rose from the grave, everybody but Thomas was there, all of his disciples were there except Thomas. They told Thomas, dude, we saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side. He doesn't say, I I probably won't believe, I will not believe. Peter denied Him three times the night He was betrayed. Jesus had followers, and it says about them that they, His disciples all fled away. Now, it could have been just fear, but it must have certainly been some doubts. Because, listen, Thomas is the one who only days before said, We're going to go to Jerusalem and we're going to die with him. And Peter's the one who said, Peter said, if everybody else falls away, I'm not going to. And yet they both, because of circumstances in their lives, find themselves doubting. There's one more category, and I think think this is fair. I think sometimes we doubt, me and you. I grew up in church. I mean, when I say I grew up in church, I mean I really grew up in church. We were, we were Sunday school, Sunday church, training union, which is nighttime Sunday school, uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were five lessons a week Baptists growing up. I knew every story uh, forward and backward. I... I, I <laughs> made Jesus art in VBS uh, with uh, elbow noodles. I mean, I, I did it all. I knew it all, right? I was the punky little kid in class that the teacher would say, what do you think? You know, it's like, I, and I was, I, I just knew it all. Except when I went to college, there was this moment, I just kind of remembered, I was at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and there was this moment where it's like, I just don't know. It didn't last long. There was a little season. Sometimes we we swoon. But we get a little weak in the knees with our faith. And so there's evidence in Scripture, if we'll look at it, and we are going to look at it today, if we'll believe it, that can convince a person, I think, that Jesus. Is God Now, not all evidence is the same. I mentioned that trial before with circumstantial evidence, but there's better evidence. Sometimes it's eyewitness accounts or it's this or that. In 1910, there was a family called the um, Hiller family in Chicago. Clarence was the dad's name. And husband and wife were asleep one night. 1910, Chicago, they hear a rustling downstairs, he goes downstairs to investigate, there's a scuffle, he's shot and he's killed, and they arrest a guy named Thomas Jennings, and they convicted Thomas Jennings based on some new uh, ways of collecting evidence, Scotland Yard kind of invented this, called the fingerprint. Now, when Jennings had gone into the house, now when they found him, he said, I don't know who these people are, I've never been to that side of town. But when he had gone to the house to commit the robbery and subsequently committed the crime of murder, he had grasped the the handrail going into the house and it had been painted that day. And he left his fingerprint in the paint. He was the first person in America to be convicted on fingerprint evidence. Some evidence is better than others. So let's talk about the evidence of Jesus, that he's really God. The first is, he testified that he's God. Now, I'm going to have to set this up for you. It's going to make a ton of sense, though, I hope, when I do. But he said, he spoke uh, to the people, and he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you're like, well, that, that, he's not even saying he's God. Well, yeah, he is, let me tell you. This happened, when this happened is really important. So the Jewish people have seven different uh, feasts and festivals that they celebrate to commemorate certain events in the life of their nation. One of, one of them is called the Feast of Tabernacles and it relates to when God delivered them out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40, day, 40 years and the Bible tells us that the Israelites were led by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. And so the tabernacles, they would build these little shelters during the Feast of Tabernacles. And to to remind them that they used to be wanderers living in makeshift huts. And so in the temple in Jerusalem, that's where everyone would come to celebrate this particular feast. They would light these huge candelabras. If you know anything about the temple, there are different um, courts different uh, levels that you can enter. So the, the furthest out was the court of the Gentiles. If you weren't Jewish, you could go there. And then the court of women could only go this far. And then more in would be the court of men. And then there's the Holy of Holies. And you get, you get to where only the priests can go. And then, um, and then only the high priests can go. So in the court of women, they would set up these elaborate, huge candelabras, and they would light them. For the Feast of Tabernacles lasted a few days. And people that were there, historians say, that the folks who witnessed this would say it was like a diamond at night because the temple would be so bright. So Jesus enters the temple, and it doesn't say exactly when he entered. So it could be like he, he says this, I'm the light of the world, which is re- referencing God leading his people out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. Jesus was saying, just like that, just like God did that, I can do that. It is a not-so-subtle claim of deity. And so nobody knows exactly when he said it. Maybe when it was just when all the candelabras were lit and everything is bright and he says, I am the light of the world. Or maybe when it's when all the candelabras go out and all the candles uh, extinguish. And he says, I'm the light of the world. And if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. Because those candles went out and that walking in the wilderness ended. But if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. And just like... The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud wasn't just to be observed, it was to be followed. Jesus is saying, you can follow me. Because just like God led your ancestors, I will lead you. Now, th- those of you who've watched uh, crime dramas or, or court dramas, when someone says something from the witness stand that the uh, opposition uh, doesn't uh, appreciate, they stand up and they say two words. What do they say? I object. Right, you're you're tracking, good. So the Pharisees challenged him. Basically, they said, we object. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Okay. So let's say uh, I decide after, well, tomorrow morning, I decide I'm going to rob a bank. And the closest bank is... A bank uh we'll go with wells fargo there's one each direction i found out after the service i'm gonna go to wells fargo and i'll go in and i'm gonna have a mask on and i'm gonna say it's covid and, and uh, uh i'm gonna have a mask on and i'm gonna demand two bags of money and i will walk out with the money and there's uh, a, a nice police officer who welcomes me greets me as i exit the door with two bags of money and he's going to say stop thief And I could give testimony about myself. I'm not a thief. I didn't rob this bank. Now all the evidence shows otherwise, but I could say, no, no, I'm not a thief. Except my testimony is to get me out of trouble. Jesus talks a lot about being God and that only got him into trouble. Look at Jesus's response. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, the other witness is my Father who sent me. He is basically saying the Father and I are one. In fact, he says this sort of thing over and over and over. This is John 8. Look at John 10. Jesus was strolling in the temple across Solomon's porch. The Jews circled him. Circling him said, How long are you going to keep us from guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. Jesus replied, I've already told you, you, and you don't believe. The proof is what I do in the name of the Father. I've given you evidence. I've said it on my own. I do what the Father does. Here's the deal. Are you the Messiah? Yes. And I'm equal to God. He says it over and over. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. So hearkening back to when Moses was on Mount Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments, and and he says, who shall I say sent me to the Israelites? And God says, tell them I am that I am. And here Jesus is saying, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. There is no dispute that Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus shouted to the crowd, if you trust me, you're really trusting God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. The Father and I are one. He says it over and over and over. And where I might give a testimony trying to get out of trouble, Jesus gave this testimony and all it did was cause trouble. In fact, the reason he was crucified was because of the claim that he was blaspheming because he was claiming to be God. I mean, that, that is the charge against him. It, it is the charge that got him killed. Jesus' claim of being God doesn't help him. It hurts him. It's a valid testimony. But there's more. Jesus provides evidence. The Jews picked up some stones to stone him, and Jesus said, I've shown you many great... This is so snarky of Jesus. That's why I feel privileged to be snarky myself. Uh, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? That's sassy. Uh, I mean, it really is sassy. Well, which miracle are you going to stone me for? We're not stoning you because of any of these, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus says, okay, well, the proof is the miracles. I'm proving myself to you because of the miracles. We have to prove ourselves all the time. If you want to fly somewhere, you go into the airport. You have to have your ticket. It might be on your phone. You have to have your ticket, and you have to have your driver's license. And you have to prove who you are to get through security. You have to prove it. If you want to vote, you go to the voting uh, place, and they check your ID, and they check it against the list, and they want to make sure you're registered. And you have to prove who you are before you can vote. At least in this state, you have to do that. When you have kids, sometimes if they want to be in sports, or in some kind of competition, you have to prove their age. And this week we have the privilege of paying our taxes. <laughs> I know it's exciting, and you get to prove that you're paying the right amount. Isn't that' nice. I love the government for doing that for us. They let us prove it. Did you know there's a certain thing called the uh, cheaters account? Some people cheat the IRS, and they feel so guilty they send in money so there was a guy, I read about a guy, and, and he sent a check, and he said, I've, I've, I've been cheating on my taxes for years, here's a check for $10,000. And then he said, P.S., if this doesn't help me sleep, I'll send you the rest. Uh, so sometimes it doesn't give us the peace that we're asking for. But Jesus often pointed to his miracles. Hey, you want proof? Think about how this makes sense. Who can suspend nature? Like a miracle is a suspension of nature, right? It's, n- nature has a way of something working, and a, a, a worker of miracles says, okay, well, I can usurp that. So normally, none of us can walk on water. None of us. But Jesus, as God, could do, do things that usurped nature. He suspended nature. He walked on uh, water when nobody else could. So Jesus is saying, look, I do miracles. Remember, uh, John the Baptist came and, and, and sent some guys, hey, are you the Messiah? And Jesus responded, uh, go back to John, tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are, are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. The proof he says, is in what I do. I do things only God can do, and I do things that you can't do because you're not God. Think about this. Nobody ever said, no, you didn't. Jesus' first miracle, he has, uh, best I can tell, 42 miracles are listed in Scripture. 42 different miracles. That's a pretty good, like if you have an evidence file, that's a pretty good file of stuff. His very first miracle was turning water into wine. He's at a a wedding. They ran out of wine, or if you're Baptist, grape juice. Uh, And uh, uh, they decide that they needed more wine. And Mary, Jesus' mother, says, Jesus, take care of this. And Jesus like, "It's it's not my time. And Mary's like, yeah, got to do it. Uh, Mary basically says in that encounter, I am your mother. You need to do this. And so he did. Uh, He turned water into wine. And nobody ever said no, he didn't. Because the people that were there, they experienced it. And there was this time where Jesus has thousands of people there, and they don't have food. And he blesses five loaves and two fish, and now... Everybody has food. Nobody says, no, he didn't. Because the thousands of people that were there, well, they experienced it, and they told people, Jesus does this stuff. Look at what it says. The blind see. Well, that just didn't happen. The lame walk didn't happen. The lepers are cured. When you got leprosy in Jesus' time... You were going to die a slow death, a slow, lonely death. Because it was so highly contagious, you had to walk around in rags and call out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And you hung out with all your other leper friends until you died. Nobody got cured of leprosy. Jesus does this stuff. He does it over and over and over. He heals this guy named Lazarus. Lazarus was Jesus' friend. He has a couple sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus dies. Jesus shows up four days after he's dead and in the grave. There's a stone there. It's one of my favorite stories. So intricate, this story. Jesus shows up and it says, Jesus wept. Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do, and yet he wept. It's amazing to me that he did this. And he says, roll the stone away. Uh, and I, one of, of Lazarus' sisters said, oh, Lord, I love this in the King James. We, 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 don't, we shouldn't do that because right now he stinketh. I love that word. So, ladies, when your husbands take their shoes off, you could say, Your feet stinketh. Uh, it's very biblical. All right, so uh, he stinketh, and Jesus is like rolling away, and he calls Lazarus out. Nobody ever even refuted it. No, Lazarus is dead. Well, no, he's not. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty telling. You've got a dude that was dead for four days, and everybody knows it. And all of a sudden, he's walking around amongst us. They didn't refute it. They did want to eliminate the evidence. Look at what happened. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. On account of him, many of the Jews were going to Jesus and putting their faith in him. They saw the evidence of changed physical lives. Jesus did things that only God can do. Walking on water, only God you met a lady one time at a well, and, he, and she's like, He said, Go get your husband. She's like, I'm not married. He's like, No, you're not married. You've been married five times, and the dude you're living with isn't your husband. How does you know that unless you're God? Jesus just knew things, and He did things. And He said this He said, Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work, but if I do His work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done. Don't believe my words, believe my deeds. He's like, I've done all of these miracles. He said he's God, absolutely. He said it, but he also did things only God can do, and he offers it as proof. Jesus himself is saying, look, don't believe what I say, believe what I do. And in Scripture, we have nobody. In fact, in history, we don't have anybody saying, that really didn't happen. Now, later on, people have said, "You know, okay, well, maybe that didn't happen. But in Jesus' time, at that time, people didn't refute the miracles. I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? Now, there's a context to Jesus saying this. It's really important. Context is always important. So uh, if you're a grandparent or you're a parent and you have, let's say you have a daughter and you say to her, um, how big are you? She's a little kid. And a little kid will often say, I am so big, so big. And in that context, so big is the right answer. But if your wife says, how do my hips look in this dress? So big, not the right answer, not right. So there's context, right? There's context. So Jesus, in John 9, heals this man born blind. Now, obviously, first century Palestine didn't have the medical technology that we have today. And so this boy, this boy who grew up to be a man born blind, was destined to be blind he became a beggar because how do you make a living in that era at that time when you're blind and i i think about it sometimes he he sits at the city gate and maybe he has a sign around his neck that says i'm blind and people throw him money and this is how he survives And he would have to have somebody probably help him from his house to his spot. And then at the end of the day, he would have to have somebody help him from his spot to his house. He's born blind, and he had really very little upward mobility. And then Jesus heals him. So this man gives eyewitness testimony. Now, Jesus seals, sees him. He heals him. It happens on the Sabbath. So, <laughs> this guy who everybody sees every day when they walk into the city, who sat there with a sign around his neck that said "I need money. I'm blind." Now, all of a sudden, he's walking around. And, and there had to be a murmur in the crowd. Is that the dude that used to sit down and like? Is he the one at Walmart that had the sign? because he looks like that guy. But that guy was blind. I've known him all my life, and now this guy, well, he's not blind at all. So the religious leaders call this guy in. They say, dude, what happened to you? Are you the dude that was born blind, or is it some other dude? I'm the dude. I was born blind. Guy came along, cured my blindness. Now I can see. They're like, well, okay, but you know, he's a sinner because he healed you on, on the Sabbath. He healed you on the Sabbath, dude. So he's a sinner. <laughs> and, and the guy's response is classic. Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. I sat here for a long time, and nobody helped me. Y'all didn't help me. But the dude you say is a sinner, well, he helped me. So maybe we've got it backwards. So they send him out. They call in his parents. Is that your son? Was he born blind? Or is he just faking all these years? No, he's not faking. That's our son, but we don't know how he was healed. So they call the guy back in. <laughs> like, all right. And then they say this. Uh, read it. They say, give glory to God. Which is basically saying, put your hand on the Bible, and do you swear to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Give glory to God. What happened? And the dude is a little testy this time, and he says, well, I already told you, but let me tell you one more time. I was blind. A dude came by and healed me, and now I can see. And then he really turned up the snark. Why do you ask, do you want to worship him too? (laughs) They're outraged. Oh, I don't want to worship him. We we weren't sinners. Well, You're a sinner. Uh, We weren't born in sin. There was this big debate. If somebody was born blind, then the debate was, did this person sin in the womb to be born blind, or did his parents sin, and that caused the kids blindness? That was the big debate that raged throughout uh, Jesus' time. And he's like, I don't know about any of that. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. And they kicked him out of the temple. And Jesus found him. Oh, oh, this is what he said. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of the man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What a testimony. And they kick him to the curb. And then Jesus finds him and he said, do you believe in the Messiah? And the dude's like, I don't know who the Messiah is, but if you are the one who healed me and you tell me to believe in the Messiah, I will believe. And Jesus is like, I am the Messiah. And he said, I believe. And then he worshiped. Because when the evidence is presented, that's really the logical place you go people will do some of the most ridiculous things for because they believe. There's a pop singer named Ariana Grande, and she was dating a guy on Saturday Night Live named Pete Davidson. And they were in love. Love. And she, because she had faith in Pete... They're gonna get married, they engaged. She gets Pete tattooed on her ring finger. Pete on her ring finger, that's commitment. And then they broke up and then it's just stupid. And so she covers it up with, <laughs> with a black heart. I had somebody say she should've put re on this and it would've been repeat. Uh, anyway, I don't know, it's kind, of, kind of funny. She's not good with tattoos, by the way. She sang a song called Seven Rings, and she wanted to get some some ink done that reflected that. So on the back of her hand, she in uh, Japanese uh, supposedly got seven rings tattooed on her hand. Then she posted it to Instagram. Anybody that knew how to read Japanese, they said, oh, it it doesn't say seven rings. It says barbecue grill. (laughs) So then she tried to fix it, they added a character, and now it says barbecue finger. Uh, so, you know, it's not, 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 good, not a good look. We do some silly, silly things because we believe. But when Jesus says, I'm God, and then when he does God things, and then when people who witness the God things he did say he's God, then there is a... There is a weight of evidence to that. You don't have to believe. But the evidence certainly points that direction. If we're going to answer the question, then yeah, Jesus really is God. He really is God. He's the one who came as God as man, combined, who took our sins in a way only God could do. Talked about it several times. Jesus did things only God can do. Taking your sin away, that's a thing only God can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus for this message, for these great stories of faith. Thank you for the preponderance of evidence that points that Jesus is God. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given to us, the opportunity we have to proclaim in our lives and in our speech that Jesus is Lord. Help us to do it every day, including today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.